Hello and welcome to the Ask Dr. Ben podcast. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. As a holistic-minded physician, I've spent the last 20 years looking outside the box and conducting research to find the true causes of skin conditions and other diseases. And while the focus of my work has been on aesthetic medicine and unlocking the secrets to reversing skin damage, this podcast will also include many other exciting revelations pertaining to you and your family's health and well-being. So let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ask Dr. Ben. Today, I thought we would take a little bit of a deeper dive into hormones and really understanding what the role is, I guess, from my holistic perspective and, you know, how you navigate the challenges that we face today, because there's just no question that there's a massive number of chemicals that are estrogenic, meaning they resemble estrogen in one way, shape or form. And as a result of that, how does our body respond? How do we best protect ourselves? And what do you need to know as far as what side effects you're having in your life? And are those telling for your situation? So uh, let's just dive right in with first, what is the, the basic understanding? Or I guess I'll just say, what's my take on how hormones affect us in our daily lives and you know, what, if any, hormone supplements should we be considering? So I do take a very sort of a holistic stance that your body is so brilliant that it is measuring in pico levels, tiny little minute levels, your hormones on a 24-7 basis. Every second, it is constantly monitoring and adjusting accordingly. So there's a level of precision that just can't be matched with some saliva test or some blood work or urine sample. However, you're trying to get your hormone levels tested. There's going to be a high level of imprecision, not just because of the methods being used, but also because it's a snapshot of a day. And yes, you know, we try to go, okay, well, you can expect higher levels in the hormone of in the in the morning of this hormone or that, and so you want to take your hormone test, at, you know, at a specific time of day, and we know what to expect, and and maybe you're even trying to monitor your cortisol levels, and you're, you know, looking at at the picture as always in a snapshot that just isn't precise enough for me to get a good comfort level. The other piece of the story that you've probably heard me say before is I just don't buy into this idea that our hormones should remain at peak youth levels in order for us to perform at a peak youth level as we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. You know, it's not inconsistent to be a thriving, well-adjusted, healthy, high-performing human over the age of 60, you can do this without having to try to restore your hormone levels to an earlier time. What I generally find is that people who are experiencing low libido or low energy or sleep disturbances or you know early menopause or all these things we'll talk about here in more detail, uh, when you experience those 
It is not because your body's broken down. It is not because genetic failures or, you know, DNA damage or really just a body just starting to misperform because you're getting older. That just is not how the body works. It's precise, you know, and yes, okay, so some of some of its methods for keeping you balanced and corrected can diminish over time, but its precision it should just never be questioned and you just have to make the assumption that if you are off in one category or another, it has more to do with some exogenous toxin, something from your environment that is changing the way your cells are behaving. Remember that your body through this process of epigenetics can change how much of a hormone it's producing. It can increase what's called hormone binding proteins, which are there for sort of an instant diminishment of your hormones in the presence of other factors. So we can see this in the research. You know, this is not just a pie in the sky view of, hey, just as long as you live a clean life, you're going to be good. We can see in the research that when you add hormones to your body, say in the form of a medication, that your body increases hormone binding proteins. Now, I don't know if people talk about it in the way or think about it in the way I'm proposing, which is that's because your body has adjusted your hormones according to the environment that it is in. It looks at everything that's going on there, all the different chemicals in your body that might resemble estrogen and some of them that might even resemble testosterone. And it assesses that presence of all of those, and it makes a decision on where it feels comfortable keeping your active estrogen as opposed to your bound estrogen. And yeah, it may even reduce production of estrogen. It may simply bind it. It may reduce production of testosterone, or it may, again, just produce a testosterone binding proteins that reduce its activity. Same thing with progesterone. So You can have this constant flux going on in your body, and I promise you, your body knows best. And, you know, I've also said in the past, I think breast cancer is most likely being triggered by estrogen pesticides, but, you know, your body does its best to try to adapt to that, I believe, as you get exposure. So let's say you live in a farming community and you're getting a lot of these estrogenic pesticides in your environment. And you can't help but have them in your system. Your body will begin by trying to protect you through the reduction of of natural estrogen, either through binding and or reducing your overall production. And it'll do this as long as it can. And you, you experience that in the form of these various side effects, but it's really being that safe. And so then you go into the, the doc and the doc says, Hey, you're really low on estrogen. We need to uh, give you an estrogen pill. Cause you're complaining that you have hot flashes or, you know, whatever other irregularities associated with hormones, the doctor unknowingly, because it just assumes something's broken in your body is uh, writing you a prescription for birth control pill or bioidentical hormone package. And this, in fact, puts you in more danger. You know, the takeaway I have after reading the literature again is that the body definitely does not like exogenous 
hormones in a consistent presentation. It in particular doesn't like hormones that are not bioidentical. Now, I'm not a fan of bioidentical hormones per se for all the reasons I just said. I think when by taking those hormones, your body will actually make less of its hormones. So it will compensate for that exogenous presence. Now, you can still overwhelm that. In other words, it will reduce its estrogen down. Your body will reduce its estrogen down. But if you take enough of that estrogen, then you can compensate for the decline and you can actually see a reduction, let's say, in hot flashes as a result of that. But that doesn't mean that your body is better off. And what that means in that is potentially your body is at higher risk for an estrogen positive cancer or other distortions that come with the combination of normal to high levels of a hormone in addition to higher levels of the toxins that resemble that hormone. When you have those two together, it's dangerous territory. And it's one of the reasons why there's been such a mixed bag of of results when it comes to hormone supplementation as we get older. You know, we see evidence of increase in, in stroke or heart disease or the like. And maybe yes, you see a diminishment in osteoporosis or something else, but the truth of the matter is that the most holistic, the most intelligent strategy in my mind is to clean your body of toxins and let your natural hormones rise up as best they can. Now, where you're going to run into trouble with this is that I believe when you start taking birth control pills at an early age, and even if you're, you you know, you have a IUD that's emitting a smaller level of hormones, it's still sending hormones into the system and having an impact. Or even at a later age, you let's say you've got convinced to start HGH, human growth hormone. So you're getting an exposure to these hormones, and the net effect is your body produces less of that hormone. Now, Over time, with chronic suppression of hormone production, because you're taking these outside hormones, I do believe that your body struggles to return to normal if you stop. So one of the curses that I think is put on the female population in particular is this move to birth control pill as the standard for everybody who's sexually active and older. And yes, sometimes birth control pills are used for skin conditions. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But you set yourself up for early menopause by getting on birth control, I believe. And not only that, it has uh, distorting effects because most birth control is, you know, some type of animal derived version of estrogen. It's not actually human estrogen in many cases and or, you know, and we're talking about estrone, estradiol, estriol. And so they could give you just estrone at certain levels, or maybe they're giving you horse-derived estrone, which is equilin, or maybe they're giving you, you know, some modified version of a hormone because, I don't know, it stays in pill form better. And what this ends up doing is it doesn't hit every receptor equally. So whereas your body, when it produces its version of estrogen, let's say it's estrone, so your body's producing estrone, there are specific estrogen receptors estrone taps on. So let's just say that's 100%. When your body produces estrone, it hits 100% of the estrone receptors. Now, if you take equilin sulfate, you're actually going to only activate, let's say, 
70 or 80% of the receptors that estrone normally hits. However, your body is making less estrone. So the immediate first side effect is there's some diminishment in the impact of how estrone is working in your body. And yet you're getting excess of this other estrone, which is hitting those receptors even harder, the ones that it does work on. So if that makes sense, it's impossible to time hormone supplementation medication. It's impossible to time it right. It's impossible to adjust for the proper levels at the proper times of day. It's impossible to coordinate it with the testosterone and progesterone that the body is constantly balancing as a synergy to this whole process. And so depending on whether or not that birth control contains a heavier amount of progesterone, in which case it has a whole different set of side effects. And all of it is just playing sort of this blind... uh, I don't know, I guess Russian roulette may not be the perfect analogy, but it's it's definitely a blind sort of, well, let's just see what happens here to your body. And it's a game you don't want to play because your liver does not like excess hormones in it. It will be damaged by that. Uh, one in three women on birth control develop a condition known as melasma, which I have contributed to liver damage, oxidative liver damage primarily, and it has to do with excess hormones. Now, you can have excess of your natural hormones when you're pregnant, and that can be compromising to a liver, especially a liver, let's just say, that's gone through the 20s <laughs> with, with reckless abandon and has had taken some hits. And so uh, it's harder for a liver to handle pregnancy hormones at age 30 plus, let's say, which is more when more likely women will develop pregnancy-induced melasma. But again, because it's your natural hormones, your liver can tolerate them better. And and in a lot of cases, that type of melasma goes away. But that exists. And then you can have tumors, right? You could have pituitary tumors. You could have ovarian cysts or tumors that generate higher levels of estrogen and or testosterone production. And so that certainly can also be an impact on all of these things. So you're always going to have to play in this dance. But here's what I'm here to tell you. (laughs) Number one, you know, things like in kids, uh, women who develop early menstrual cycles or otherwise known as precocious puberty or or boys who uh, develop early facial hair. These can be the result of chemicals in their system and more often than not are the result of chemicals in their system. And sometimes you can get on medication that's estrogenic, like lithium has estrogen properties. And it's one of the reasons why you get uh, acne from lithium. Uh, But, you know, that's not a very common medication. And, you know, as I look through most of the medication we get on, like there are antibiotics that are estrogenic. I think things like amoxicillin has estrogenic properties and that may show up as a rash on your chest. But yeah, it's, listen, there are 10,000 chemical additives going into our food. Most of them are not tested for estrogen toxicity. Most of them are not tested for long-term safety. We're talking about food preservatives. We're talking about flavorings. We're talking about 
colorants, all of the chemicals that are associated with packaging. You know, we identified like a decade or more ago uh, that bisphenol A or BPA is this horrible chemical in plasticides. But there are other chemicals in these plastics uh, that are not yet identified that are also potentially cancer forming and certainly endocrine disruptors. Endocrine disruptors is another way to say uh, these hormones come in and mimic your hormones and then end up causing a distortion that you feel. And you can feel it in a variety of different ways. And we'll go through some of those here in a minute. Okay. So I just wanted to kind of go through, I had here a list of uh, some of the chemicals that we know are estrogenic and they don't always show up on the label. And this is where the challenge lies, right? Because if you prepare a substance and it involves adding a bunch of chemicals and then that substance, let's say it's a, well, let's say you add a flavor to something. If Depending in where you add the flavor in the process, the flavor may not have to be listed on the label. So, you know, a lot of times I talk to people about estrogenic food preservatives and they're like, well, what, what's the name of it? I'll look it up. I'll make sure it's not on any of my foods. And that's the problem is it might be a preservative added to oil to keep oil from going rancid. And that oil is used in the food, but because it was added to the oil prior to the oil being used as a recipe item, it doesn't have to be listed on the ingredient deck. So you have this preservative for the oil, and the only thing on the label is the oil itself. And so you don't know. You know, one of the most classic causes of food preservative acne, which remember shows up along the jawline, it shows up about... If you t put your finger on the very middle of your chin and go an inch to the right and an inch to the left, that zone at the very base of your chin is digestive and it has to do with the end of your large intestine and it goes up towards the angles of your mouth and around your mouth and that is a digestive zone. But just outside of that one inch to the left and one inch to the right, and those are approximate numbers, is the food preservative zone. And you can see this going to Osmosis Beauty's uh, skin mapping app. And you can see, well, actually, I think I have the skin mapping on in at osmosisbeauty.com, both in the public facing and the professional page section. So you can definitely check it out. And you can see, and so I found, you know, some of the worst offenders are pea protein. I don't know what they add to that sucker, but it is very much, I guess you could say comedogenic. It causes acne, but it's, but it's very much a problem. So I'm always telling people stay away from pea protein because that food preservative can also lead to PCOS. And that's, that's the trick here is that we're not just talking about acne. We're not just talking about menstrual regularity. I mean, you can get to a level of disease, you know, cysts, in your breast are often related, I believe, to estrogenic pesticides. Cysts on your ovaries are related to estrogenic food preservatives. And what's causing this is just the chemical irritation is creating a cystic reaction and that can lead to other things. So I was just looking through this long list and this is a list of chemicals that are allowed in foods today that we know to be estrogenic. And oh my God, I'm not gonna read them all because you'd be so bored. But you know, hexadecanoic acid is a flavoring. Uh, lycopene is a flavoring. Octadecanoic acid is a flavoring. Fumaric acid, geraniol, uh, methyl salicy salicylate, 
uh, butyl paraben, all the parabens. You don't want parabens on your skin because parabens do absorb in the skin, do end up showing up in the breast tissue uh, as one example. Breast tumors have found parabens in them. And, you know, I've seen this one, phenylethylathronilate, piperine, 2-acetylthiazole, 2-benzyldenyloctanol, and, you know, the list goes on and on. Tons of food flavors are actually estrogenic and therefore can be uh, certainly be an issue for you. Benzyl salicylate, benzyl cinnamate, just looking for ones that you might recognize as estrogenic. Methyl eugenol. Anyway, so I just like uh, propylgalate is a big one that I don't know uh, if you see it. Saccharin, saccharin itself, like so, uh, what is that? Sweet and low? Sweet and low is an estrogenic toxin. You'll see that in a lot of foods sort of buried in there as the sweetener. Then you go into just general additives. Uh, docusate sodium is a common one. Heptylparaben, 1,3-butanediol, canthazanthin, ergocalciferol can be an estrogenic chemical. Ethyl, ethylene diamine is a common one. Glycocholic acid. Yeah, so I mean genistein, diadzine. You know, the, the list goes on and on uh, within these additives that are in foods, scrolling down the list, and then I get to a whole list of pesticides. And I hadn't, uh, I was looking for this list, so I, I'm fascinated by it. You know, you don't know sometimes when pesticide is being used in food. This is, again, why it's generally better. It's not always 100% safe, but generally better to do organic foods because you don't get these pesticide exposure. But estrogenic pesticides, the list is huge here. Carboxin, clofentazine, thiabendazole, 11-hexadecanol, benamil, carboferan. I've seen that one a lot. Ciprodenol. Anyway, I'm just telling you, like, uh, this list keeps going and going. Phenerimol. Uh, anyway, uh, this will be the most boring podcast ever if I stayed on this list. But I know I talk a lot about, oh, uh, uh, estrogenic pesticides, because those are the ones that show up as acne on your neck or in the front or back of your ear. Then you've got the chlorine, of course, which is estrogenic, and that's showing up on your chest and upper back. But I'm telling you, they've done a lot of testing, and I'm just looking here, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, da, 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 da. they've got 30 estrogenic pesticides that they've identified in just their one bit of testing. And so it's all very odd to me, you know, this idea that why all these chemicals are so estrogenic certainly makes one suspicious. But more importantly, at an age when we have way too much uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, breast cancer... It makes you wonder if these chemicals are not the main cause and why the world is not screaming from the top of the mountaintops. Let us just put a hold on all chemicals until we know they are not carcinogenic. Let's go back to natural foods and stop preserving and do regional farming. And there is a strategy here, people. There is a way to get our world to a place where we don't have to be lab rats in some experiment seeing which of these things cause cancer. And, what, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that work in a cancer research that are doing it for all the right reasons. But, I mean, why have we had such a hard time coming up with, quote unquote, a cure for cancer when 
it's so obvious that these chemicals are not only carcinogenic, but estrogenic. And it's like, what, wait, can we just start there? Can we just start by taking the chemicals out of the, out of the equation? And then let's see if this cancerous tissue that forms and, and, and is probably epigenetic, Okay, it's probably the result of a conversion of healthy cells to cancerous cells. It's not like cancer shows up as a cell like that we ate and it starts growing. Like it's literally just converting our cells. So what causes cell conversion? What causes epigenetics? Oh yeah. Environmental toxins, environmental changes, toxic foods, viruses. All of these things are causing the cells to change. So it seems like it would be an obvious thing. So, you know, what's the purpose of today's podcast? I think it's really just to remind you that we shouldn't be defaulting to hormone disruption as a way of getting along in the world. I wish, I do wish there was a better way to prevent pregnancy than birth control pills that was just as easy. And I say easy. We, we in the male side of the spectrum might say, oh, that's easy. Yeah, do that. But for women, I mean, it almost automatically causes 10 to 15 pounds in what is essentially water weight. And it damages their ovaries and leads to early menopause. And it has uh, really the potential to cause cancer because, again, remember, these hormones that you're taking aren't the exact hormones of the body in most cases. So they are activating over-aggressively certain receptors in the body and under-activating other receptors. And by definition, cancer is going to show up from imbalance. So... I am not a fan of the hormone alternatives. So let's talk about a couple of them. Uh, one of them is the spironolactone. Spironolactone, also known as aldactone, frequently has been used in medicine for as a diuretic. So in other words, it helps you lose water weight. So people with heart disease and things like that. But I just know it primarily because I'm in the skin business as a treatment for um, androgen side effects. So that would be facial hair, male pattern balding, oily skin, and of course, acne, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, usually contains a one or more of those on that list I just mentioned. And so spironolactone. Now, when I looked at the research on spironolactone for acne, it was interesting because the doctor who was the spearheaded uh, researcher uh, on this category identified that the acne cases that he wanted to treat primarily were acne of the jawline and neck. How fascinating is that? Because that lines right up with what I call estrogenic toxin purging acne. And so remember, jawline is estrogenic food preservatives, neck is estrogenic pesticides. So I thought that was so interesting. And let me tell you how it works. What spironolactone does is, first of all, it raises your cortisol levels. So there's some distortion and raising your cortisol levels is kind of a pro-con. It's causing an imbalance. Like your, your body is perfectly administering cortisol where it needs it. Cortisol sort of is that secondary wave after the body's done a lot of hard work to detox or go after an initial inflammatory event. Cortisol comes in to sort of redirect the activities towards repair at some level, or at least it's kind of like, it's like the balance to an overemphasis on repair really, because honestly, cortisol 
in its own way is limiting of repair. So well, I guess what I'm saying is you don't want excess cortisol in a body that is under attack from environmental poisons, which is um, just for going to be just about all of us. Remember, we face a million toxins a day and cortisol will send the wrong message to the detox mechanisms, the pathogen fighting mechanisms, and you don't want that to happen. And so spironolactone for some interesting reason does do that, but it is primarily working for people because it's blocking testosterone receptors. And uh, we call these androgen receptors. And so why that works for some people with acne is uh, you have to go back to what I've said in the past of why acne gets triggered. So the reason why estrogenic poisons come out of your skin on your neck and on your jawline, and of course, in the case of chlorine on your chest and back, is because there is an increasing deficit between testosterone and estrogen. In other words, when you have too many estrogen poisons in your body, your body makes too little of its own natural estrogen. So there is an imbalance between testosterone and estrogen. This is why you can get male pattern baldness. This is why you get oily skin. This is why you can stop having your menstrual cycle. This is why uh, facial hair is such a huge problem and excess body hair as well. Peach fuzz hair turning into coarse hairs. All of that is related to testosterone being out of balance with estrogen. And it has to do with those estrogen poisons distorting your natural levels. So when spironolactone comes in and blocks the testosterone receptors, it reduces the severity within the body of that distortion. So the body's less inclined to dump those estrogen toxins. As I've said in the past, the reason why you get hormonal acne during your cycle, there's two types of hormonal acne. There's candida hormonal acne, and that's occurring at the very end of the cycle as a result of the peak of progesterone. Since progesterone stimulates candida, there's a peak of progesterone towards the end of the cycle. And that's what generates the shedding event. And that's also what generates more candida. So if you're prone to candida and you don't treat your candida, you can have hormonal acne that occurs there. There's also hormonal acne that happens a week or two earlier, and that is acne related to the testosterone surge that happens in your menstrual cycle, I believe sometime about 10 days before you begin to shed your lining. And so as a result of that peak in testosterone, it triggers the body to go, ooh, we really do have an imbalance here. Let's dump some estrogen toxins. And I literally believe that the estrogenic toxins are dumped along the jawline uh, because we have so many nasty food preservatives out there. But if you're in a farming community, that can also happen along the neck. And so that's why it occurs. Now, if you get toxic enough that your estrogen drops really low, then you can have chronic acne along the jawline that is still food preservatives, but it's chronic because your body can't stand the imbalance anymore and it's just got to start dumping. And remember that for our, that, our product is skin defense. Skin defense binds up those toxins and helps you with that. So that's why spironolactone is helpful. Now, you know, what does it cause? Well, I mean, it interferes with 5-alpha reductase enzymes, so it's going to substantially reduce your libido. It's going to distort your body. You, you want 
testosterone flowing through your body, it potentially reduce, you know, all the things that testosterone might impact. It might impact uh, your muscle girth, strength, so you might lose muscle. It's going to potentially cause anxiety as your estrogen becomes the dominant hormone. And it does cause a water loss. And so, you know, there can be, you know, they have you doing oftentimes blood work, but I could see why some people like it because they're like, wait, when I'm on that, I break out less. Well, the holistic way to solve that problem is bind up your estrogenic toxins with skin defense. That way you don't have to interfere with your testosterone. And that's exactly what spironolactone is doing. Now, when it comes to birth controls, I mentioned to you that distortion where that you're giving yourself a, and a lot of docs prescribe birth control pills for acne. And so you're giving yourself this altered version of estrogen and it's causing a reduction in your natural estrogen. And that creates water retention. And that's why you gain that 10 to 15 pounds most often. Now, you could be on something where you're just taking progesterone. In that case, if you're just like Depot Provera shots, which I think are horrendous. And so if you lower just your progesterone, then you're not going to have a cycle because progesterone is not there to stimulate the shedding of the uterine lining. And some people like that. Again, that could cause increased anxiety. That definitely causes increased candida. So people, a lot of times that might go on progesterone for, let's say, well, it's really not going to be, I don't know very many people who just go on progesterone and find their acne gets better, to be honest. That's just one of the side effects is worse acne. And it's typically upper face acne because it's candida based. So again, you're distorting your system, creating this imbalance, and it's going to permanently affect you. And that's what I really want to emphasize here is I don't think it's a benign thing to go on birth control. I think it is has long-term side effects towards your ovarian production of estrogen, and we just need to come up with a new, better method for birth control. Let's see. Taking hormones, of course, if you take bioidentical hormones, you're a little bit better off in the sense that it should activate the receptors that estrone is activating or estradiol or estriol specifically are activating depending on it. But again, you are having to guess and you, so you put this cream on your arm or you have a pellet or you're taking a pill, however you want to take it, you're still taking it at the wrong times of the day. It's still emitting at the wrong levels. It's still going to cause liver damage. It's still more likely to cause stroke it still uh, has the potential to override the body's protection against estrogen toxins and cause breast cancer. So even though bioidenticals are a shade better than birth control or other hormone medication, they are still not an ideal option. And I get that it is super challenging if you're someone who's had uh, your ovaries removed in a hysterectomy and or uh, have gone through chemo and somehow nuked the ovaries or, you know, however uh, it is that you've significantly reduced your potential to generate estrogen and testosterone and and progesterone. Yeah. So then in that case, I think there is a a place for hormones. Now I've still had women who've not tolerated hormones for the reasons I mentioned, because you, they're coming in at an imprecise time or they're coming in too much or too little or, or the wrong balance. And so really fine tuning that is an art that I think should include muscle testing because I think that's one of the more precise ways to get a read on someone's body. But I get it. Most physicians are not going to embrace that method. And so you're a bit at the will of others. Now, 
I have found that uh, you know, our hormone relief elixir for a lot of these people, even without ovaries, can uh, solve a lot of issues for them and help them feel normal, but not in every case. Uh, but yes, I, I think it's definitely worth a shot if taking hormones has you a bit concerned. And at, at the very least, you know, you just I just would expect that you do some trial and error if you're in that situation where you don't have your ovaries, where you're really playing with the amount of each of the types of estrogen and um, making sure you're not just using one or two of the three main estrogens, that you're not just putting estrogen and not progesterone and testosterone. Like I think that's it's, it seems like it would be appropriate for you to do a really healthy blend of, of all of them. When it comes to the uh, hormone toxins, I thought I'd just remind you that mercury is the one androgenic toxin. It comes out in a different place. It tends to purge around the groin. So if you're waxing, uh, you might see acne, uh, what you know they call ingrown hairs. I think that's mercury overload and you definitely want to be careful of that. I relate mercury to prostate hypertrophy. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. If you're someone who's a big fish eater, remember, it's really hard to avoid mercury if you eat a lot of fish. It's one of the biggest challenges of it. And I'm just learning about some of these preservatives that they're putting in fish to keep them from turning a color. And they're not listed. They're not listed in the store on the back of the label, but they are used so it's frustrating. Let's see. Of course, chlorine is in all the tap water, and I do recommend chlorine filter for the home and the shower if you're especially in an area where you're having to use public water and they are known for adding a ton of chlorine, which, remember, is not really chlorine. It's bleach. It's chlorine and some oxygen attached to it. It's bleach. And, of course, bleach is highly poisonous. And, yes, they put a lot of poison in your tap water every day. It was kind of crazy. Don't know why more people aren't talking about that. But again, that's also an estrogen toxin and also something to watch out for. On the list of sunscreens, you want to watch out for benzophenone, octal methoxycinamate, also known as octanoxate, homosalate, and 4-methylbenzylidine. 4-methylbenzylidine. So those are the main estrogenic sunscreens. They are some of the most popular chemicals used. They are the ones that are banned from the uh, reefs, as you see them endocrine disrupting the reefs as well. They are messing with our children. They're in our public water supply. They're so overused. Sunscreens are so overused that they are literally in our water supply as a result of the overflow of urine because they're in our urine and urine is cross-contaminating into our water supply. Sorry if you're eating lunch right now, but that is the reality of it. So remember uh, all the different causes of hormone disruptions. Infertility. If you have infertility, there's a 90% of the time that infertility is going to be caused by estrogenic toxins. So you can base infertility a lot on, did you come in to your attempt to get pregnant with regular menstrual cycles? If so, then your infertility may have more to do with the male in the situation or some other cause like a distortion in the anatomy of your 
fallopian tubes or uterus. But 90% of the time, infertility is associated with low estrogen, inability to ovulate due to estrogenic toxins in your body and environment. Early menopause, I believe, is caused by estrogenic toxicity and or birth control and it's happening more quickly now than ever, even harsh menopause. So any menopause symptoms at all is a sign that your estrogenic toxins are too high. And so what I'm saying there is, yes, your estrogen is meant to slowly diminish as we age, but if it's diminishing in an uneven fashion, in other words, your testosterone and progesterone levels are not shrinking as quickly as your estrogen, then you might end up seeing this more extreme menopausal symptoms. And again, skin defense and hormone relief elixir are great for these issues. Now, if you're someone who still wants to be on your bioidentical hormone and you want some support, we have found ageless vitality elixir is really effective for women who are staying on some level of hormone. It's, it seems to do better with menopausal symptoms than hormone relief elixir. And I think that we're not really sure why that is, but it, it does have the frequency of HGH and maybe that's playing a role there. I should mention uh, that, you know, when you're eating meat and dairy products, you're getting a lot of hormones as well. And dairy, for example, there's a ton of IGF-1. And IGF-1 is actually a pro-con kind of ingredient. Like it does keep you young, but in a toxic world, in an environment where a lot of your cells have had epigenetic influences, they're starting to change due to toxicity. IGF-1 can promote cancer changes. So that's why you can see studies that show an increase in cancerous growths and tumors in people with high meat and dairy diets. And so, yes, part of it is the, the source of the uh, meat and dairy, and part of it is the toxicity of the rest of their diet. So in other words, I don't think IGF-1 on its own is going to create cancer unless there's a toxic environment it's stimulating. But it's always something to keep in mind. And I do think as IGF-1 flows through, it might cause some feedback loop to the body to reduce its own IGF-1 production, but it doesn't seem to be at a level that is inhibitory. Whereas if you take HGH injections, you can pretty much be guaranteed that when you stop them, you will not make enough HGH for your body anymore on its own. Like you will literally cause permanent damage to the pituitary and it will not continue to produce HGH at a regular level. So to me, that's just nuts. Like it's just nuts. And, and so many people who got on HGH now regret it. And I think more and more people are going to realize that they're getting on testosterone, they can't get off. And then they're always dosing in this big bolus of testosterone and, and not in the very gentle circadian rhythms of the body where everything is so perfectly orchestrated. So I, you know, it's, so people are so quick to think, Oh, what's the harm? I'll just take a little testosterone. Well, the harm is that if you decide to stop it, you may not ever get back your normal levels, number one. And number two, if you start to stay on it, you're going to distort your system because it's just never going to be at the precision of a body's natural effect. You get of course, stubborn weight gain, 10 to 15 pounds typically, could be more. You get menstrual irregularities. You know, a lot of women who have cramping and or 
you know, late cycles, irregular cycles, heavy bleeding, light bleeding, all the different distortions that occur all related to toxicity. And that can be addressed again, pull the toxins out hair loss. Uh, there's, there's several aspects of hair loss. So I always equate to the male pattern baldness of hair loss as the number one example of a distortion of estrogen toxin. And so uh, that's definitely something that I would consider first if you're getting male pattern baldness. Now, male pattern to me is frontal, frontal hair loss. The crown hair loss, I think, is something different. But yeah, something to look for. And we mentioned oily skin and acne and PCOS and all those things. So those are the things to look out for. You know, do your best with kids. I think it's really important that we try to keep them as, uh, you know, the limit their distortions from an early age so that they can have a great, healthy and productive, you know, 15 to 40. And then, of course, not going to early menopause. I mean, there's really at no time should we not be thinking about all these chemicals and and where to avoid them. But uh, just wanted to reemphasize that today. So hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. Remember, you can catch my um, Instagram Insta lives every Thursday at uh, one o'clock Mountain Standard Time here in the U.S. But you can also see get the recordings to them at the uh, Osmosis Beauty section of Instagram. And then I'm going to start doing more Facebook lives as well and uh, hopefully some YouTube channel work as well as I continue to reach out and uh, connect with you guys. And from what I can hear, it sounds like uh, things are going well. So I hope you will uh, give osmosis a try when it comes to detoxing your skin and your body and really changing your life for the better. Our track record is, is um, pretty incredible and I'm always here to help. You can write me at Dr. Ben at Osmosis beauty dr ben at osmosisbeauty.com if you have personal health questions or questions for family members happy to help guys thanks again talk to you soon i hope you've enjoyed this episode of ask dr ben please leave a review if you can and subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts to get access to all of my upcoming episodes my website is osmosisbeauty.com and you can find me on facebook at osmosisbeauty you can also follow me on instagram at osmosis underscore beauty Thanks for listening.